Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Markets, speculation, and risk. This is the Chat with Traders podcast, hosted by Aaron Fifield. Yo, what's up? Welcome back. Uh, my guest on this episode is a former stand-up comedian turned questionable stockbroker turned day trader. Folks, I'd like you to meet Kenny Glick. During the 90s, Kenny went from the stages of comedy clubs into a hyper-aggressive brokerage firm, which he describes as being identical to scenes from the movie Boiler Room. And he has some wild stories to share, which you'll hear about very soon. Once Kenny realized his morals were getting in the way of his ability to peddle junk companies, he went on to pursue a career in trading stocks and options. And that's also what we go into great detail about during this episode is how he trades today. Additionally, you'll pick up some simple chunks of wisdom, which you can apply to your own trading as well, if you choose to. Now, uh, Kenny talks about some recent trades and mentions a few tickers. So I just want to mention, this was recorded on the 27th of September, 2015, after the close, just in case you want to go back and look at the charts. And I should also take this opportunity to remind you, nothing discussed on this podcast should be treated as a trade recommendation. You are responsible for your own decisions. So without any further delay, here is the conversation I had with Kenny Glick. What's shaking, bro? Uh, not much. Nothing too exciting. I've just been actually... Doing uh, updating some spreadsheets, getting all my tax return stuff ready. So um, just riveting stuff, you know. Fun times, yeah. <laughs> Far from it, actually. How you been? What's going on? Good. Today was a it's a nice day. It was a nice. I did. I do these uh, once a week. I try to get my guys together and we do a little, uh, you know, schmooze fest for a couple of hours. Talk about some swing trades and some option ideas and that thing. It's a little bit easy to talk about some concepts when the market's not open and I'm kind of bent on trying to find something to do, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay, cool. Very good. Well, man, it's awesome to be speaking with you. I'm uh, thrilled to have you here. Let's get right into this. So I want to talk to you about life pre-trading and all that stuff. So what's the go? I mean, I believe you were a, a stand-up comedian. Tell us a bit about that. 
Oh man, going way back. All right. Uh, well, I was always a pretty amusing guy. So my so my friends were telling me back in the this has got to be like almost like graduating high school, going into college. Uh, I had a, a comedy club not too far from my house called Pips. I lived in Sheepshead Bay. It's kind of where uh, Andrew Dice Clay got his start. So I started, uh, you know, I started rolling in there, and I talked to the owner. I was like, you know, can you give me a shot to get up on stage one day? And you know, he let me get up there, and then you know, I did my thing, and you know, he pulled me aside. He's like, listen, your your material was kind of, you know, a little bit childish, you know, because I was only like, like, you know, nineteen at the time. And uh, but he's like, you got it. He's like, you're up there. You're having a good time. You're you're being yourself. That's exactly what you got to do. And as long as you could, you know, work on some material and, you know, just keep being yourself with that energy. Because, I, you know, I run around on stage having a good time. And, you know, I do a lot of silly voices and a lot of just, you know, weird faces. And, uh, you know, it was pretty cool. I got to open up for Andrew Dice Clay uh, about a year later. And it was pretty much the thrill of my life. You know, I got to be the opening guy for when Dice came up on stage. And uh, it was it was pretty awesome. And then, you know... I was asked to, you know, go to California with them when uh, they were headed out there. It was the owner of the, the club. He was selling the club and Andrew and uh, a couple of his guys, this guy, Wheels Paris, who were moving out to uh, to L.A. And uh, I kind of chickened out. I'll admit it. You know, I wasn't ready to leave my leave the family at 19, move across country with, uh, you know, a dream. You know, I didn't have any money in the bank and, you know, I kind of chickened out. But. I didn't give up on the on the on the stand up. You know, I kind of worked for um, Saturday Night Live for a while. I got an internship there, which was amazing. You know, I got to meet all the people that were you know heroes to me. Phil Hartman. You know, I, I was there when uh, uh, Adam Sandler first got there. My claim to fame was that Adam Sandler was pegging me with uh, M and M's one day, and I turned around, I caught one in my mouth, and he's like, "How'd you do that?" And I was like, <laughs> "Keep throwing them at me." And I just kept, he kept hitting me and I was catching it in my mouth. And next thing you know, I was hanging with Adam Sandler, even though I worked on the, uh, we, there was kind of like these fake product commercials right after the intro. We were called the film unit. So we were like the bastard people. We were like the, the unloved people of uh, Saturday Night Live. But it was a lot of fun. You know, I got to hang out there and I worked on Friday nights where they do the run throughs. So I got to see the show before the show even aired, and I got to hang out with, you know, the cast. Kevin Nealon was there, and uh, uh, what's his name? The, the heavy guy that died. He was just, he just got there, Chris Farley. And it was just, it was just like a fraternity, and the, the, he was just nuts, just going crazy every night where they had to tell him to calm down and let's, it's time to work. And uh, what I did was I, after they got done filming what they had to film, I would take the film, run it down, you know, a couple blocks away to was a place called Broadway Video, I'd wait for them to do some editing, and I'd bring it back to the the director, and he'd say if it was good or not, and and that was my job. It was it was pretty cool. And uh, you know, sadly, one day, apparently, I answered the phone with a funny voice. I guess, and I, I guess I did, but uh, you know, I had Saturday Night Live. Can I help you? And uh, the guy on the other line said, "Who the hell is this?" I was like, "It's Kenny." And he said, "Why'd you answer the phone with that stupid voice on?" And I was like, "What voice?" And he's like, "Don't be an asshole." You know what voice you just put on. And apparently behind the scenes of Saturday Night Live is no fun. And this guy, you know, next thing you know, his assistant was telling me, you better be out of the building before Jim gets here because he's pissed. And I don't even know what I did. And I was working, you know, I'd work there Thursdays, uh, Thursdays and Fridays right out, right out of school. 
and I got fired from a job where they really weren't paying me. I was kind of a slave. I was like, who fires a slave? But uh, all right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I had some fun there. And then I went to work for uh, the John Stewart show before it was the, the Daily Show. I got to, you know, hang with John Stewart, which was, you know, he's a he's a hero of mine. So it was, a, it was pretty, pretty cool, pretty cool, uh, you know, for a young guy to be involved in all that. Yeah, yeah, that's a very cool story, man. And can we find any videos of your stand-up acts online anywhere? Do they exist? Oh God, no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay. I had a few, I had a few up there, you know, talking about you know my humor back then was you know just about getting drunk and fart jokes and you know not having and trying to get laid and all that stuff. Now I'm going back on stage. Actually, I just went on stage about a week ago. Did more of the family structure and. You know, just ripping into my kids and, you know, it's always shocking when, you know, a father starts ripping their kids on stage and people are having a ball. And it was it was a good six minutes, seven minutes. Everybody was laughing. And, you know, I came off the stage and somebody said, you know what, you're like a weird Louis C.K. And I was like, sure, I'll take that. I'll take that all the way to the bank. I'll be the weird Louis C.K. any day. So that's my that's my new thing now. I guess I'm the weird Louis C.K. And you know, I, I'm a more of a storyteller and I, you know, like I said, I do some silly voices and I'm very animated up on stage. So I have a ball up there and, you know, now, you know, 15 years later from, you know, when I was up there, now I have no fear whatsoever. And, you know, you think being a traitor is hard. Imagine getting up on stage all by yourself with the light blasting in your face and everybody's waiting for you to be funny. Within 30 seconds, these people either like you or they hate you. There's no middle ground. It's a it's a rough business. It's a rough business. Yeah, I don't doubt that at all. I mean, I imagine the crowds can be very savage. Just making a presumption here, I presume most comics don't find themselves becoming traders. What appealed to you about this, and how'd you get into it? Well, I always liked the market. You know, I had a I had a math teacher in the fifth grade, and he did a, a stock market project where we had to do some research and track our stocks and. It was more fundamental analysis, obviously. We didn't know anything about charting in, you know, back in the day, especially me in the fifth grade. But ever since that time, I was interested in the market. But the, the, the silly part about this was it, I was doing stand-up comedy one night, and some guy rolled up to me after the show wearing a suit. And nobody was ever wearing suits at a, at a comedy club. So I'm thinking this guy might be somebody. Maybe he's an agent. Turned out to be a stockbroker. <laughs> He's like, you know, you're a funny guy. Why don't you use your uh, sense of humor to try to sell stocks and make some money? Because you're probably not going to make any money being a stand-up. And I was like, well, that's kind of a backhanded compliment. But yeah, sure, man. I'll uh, I'll come out. Where is it? It's out in Long Island. And the name of the firm was like something, something Wall Street or something that sounded like some, you know, real firm. And next thing you know, I'm out there and in, in Long Island and. Uh, I, I wasn't there for more than maybe a half an hour. Guy handed me a script. He's like, here, here's a list of 300 phone numbers. Call these people and uh, ask me if they like the stock market. Give them a little bit of idea of what we're selling. And if they're interested, yell for me and I'll come run and get the phone and try to make them some money. And I'll, I'll pay you if they, if they close the deal. And uh, it was just a, it was just a, you know, the movie Boiler Room, Wolf of Wall Street. It was right there. But this place was so shady, and I was very unhappy within a week because I, 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 this it wasn't for me. You know, I, I could see right away I didn't, I didn't fit in. But you know, somebody came up to me and he said, you know, we look like you look like you're kind of lost here. We're going to open up our own firm on Wall Street. You'll take your Series Seven. We're going to be doing IPOs. And the uh, first thing I said was, "What's an IPO?" 
and he's laughing. And I'm like, yeah, buddy, I have no idea about this business, man. You, if, if you're willing to teach me, I'm, I'm willing to learn. What's a Series 7? And next thing you know, it's probably the first time since college I went 30 days without smoking weed. Because I was like, I got I to gotta clean up. I got to take a test and get a job. This is serious stuff. And then I, I took my Series 7. I got a 93 on the Series 7. And I come in all proud. And I'm thinking everyone's going to throw me like a parade. First thing the guy says to me, the manager says, Matt, you're probably not going to make it in this business. And I was like, what? I just busted my ass to get a 93 on this test. And this guy's already telling me I'm going to fail. Because it really turns out that it was the knucklehead you know, high pressured salesmen that were making all the money in this business, someone who knew stuff and was, I guess, educated. And if you couldn't sell, you were nobody in this guy's eyes. And, and I was, uh, you know, <laughs> I was shown the light that I really was just a nobody at this place. And, you know, I, I did what I had to do, you know, but it was just, it, it wasn't for me. Right, right. So just backing up a little bit, you said that there was the stockbroker who was in the comedy club what was he doing there? Was he actually like poaching comics to come on board at um, the firm? He just happened to be there. It was, uh, he was with a friend and uh, they just rolled up to me at the end of the show. And, uh, you know, I guess you know, they propositioned me. They told me they'd give me, I think it was uh, $400 a week, which doesn't sound like a lot of money. But, you know, when you're a young guy, I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll come out to Long Island. You're going to pay me cash. All right. I'll, I'll see what this is all about. And, uh, you know, it, that place I was only for, it was maybe a week. And if you remember this, I don't know, you're obviously you're from Australia, but back in the day in Brooklyn, people thought it'd be cool to put neon lights, like these kind of like halogen neon lights underneath their car and to like make the bottom of their car glow. That's what we were selling. That was the, uh, that was the company. And my God, what a, what a, what a junk, junk company. I mean, most of these companies that, you know, I jumped from that firm to the next firm to the next firm. It turned out that most of these companies weren't even real. And that's really when I started realizing that this is the most shady business I've ever come across ever, you know, because we were pitching a company, you know, let's call it Consolidated Incorporated, whatever it was. And it was supposed to be some huge corporation out in Colorado. And the next thing you know, I'm hearing them answering the phones in a back room of the firm as Consolidated Technologies. So I was like, wait a second, isn't this company supposed to be out in Colorado somewhere? Shut up, get out of the room, close the door behind you. You didn't hear anything. And I was like, okay. And, uh, you know, another, another really glaring moment of my, you know, brokerage career came when they would do all these dog and pony shows. They'd come in. And I remember there was a retractable syringe company for dentists. The Novocaine was on the top of the, of the needle. The, 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 the needle would you know, retract into this thing so you wouldn't have to call the waste disposal unit. And you could deposit the, you know, the, the, the syringe anywhere you wanted in a regular garbage. Genius concept. Awesome concept. $5 IPO. It was going to go to $50 according to these guys. We had the scientists there, dentists there. We had this whole great show. So the day we start pitching the IPO, I get called into the office because I'm still a new guy. And so after all this stuff, they're telling me how awesome this stock's going to be. Kenny, don't put any of your friends or your family into the stock. What? You just told me it's going from five to 50. I'm about to buy 10,000 shares with my dad. Don't put your friends 
and family into the stock. So here, one guy, you know, they're throwing a parade and, you know, streamers and dog and pony show telling us is the greatest stock in the world, but don't put your friends or your family into the stock. And I was like, all right, this is, uh, this is getting a little bit out of control now. So, you know, there was a couple more shady things that happened. And I finally said, you know what, this isn't for me. But at that point I had learned enough concepts where I thought maybe I could do this for myself. And coincidentally, you know, 19, what was this, 1992, 1993, you know, I, the day trading didn't really take root until so's. So I just was learning a little bit about charts. And then coincidentally about, you know, I guess it was a year later, 19, I guess 1997, 1998, really, a friend of mine was opening up his own firm. He explained to me what this so's trading was all about. And uh, there I went, took my bar mitzvah money, plopped it into an account, and off I went. Right, okay. So just before we get into more about your actual trading, I'm still really interested by this, uh, this broker story. So how did you actually convince someone to buy stock? Like what tactics would you use and you know, how successful were you at, were you at actually closing people on the phone? Aaron, how are you? Kenny Glick from Patterson Travis. Listen, I'm not calling you with any specific ideas right now. I got your name from a high roller investor list that we purchased. I just wanted to know if I had an idea over the next couple of weeks, would you be interested in hearing about it? Sure. Okay, <laughs> great. Well, listen, like I said, I wasn't calling you with any ideas right now. What we're going to do over the next couple of weeks, our traders and the owners of our company are researching some breakthrough scientific research company that might be an incredible opportunity for you. So what I want to do is in a couple of weeks, I'm going to call you back. I'm going to give you a kind of a heads up of what that company is all about. And if it's something that you're interested in, then we're probably going to try to secure a block of stock. Now, you probably know about the market. You know there's a bid and there's an offer. What we try to do is we try to get the stock in between the bid and the offer so we can offer you a discount on that stock. So when you buy it, you're actually ahead of the game. So when I do call you and I give you this information, you're probably going to have to make a snap decision. Is that something that you might be able to do? You know, if I give you a call, you'll be able to make a decision within a couple of minutes because I'm going to be really busy that day, Aaron. <laughs> That's hilarious. Like how many times did you do this each day? I would try to make 300 phone calls a day. Oh, that was what was, uh, you know, my manager would make me do. And out of those 300, you'd get about 15 or 20 people that were legitimately interested in hearing back from you. And then would come the buttering up situation. And I'd call, Aaron, it's Kenny again. How are you? I told you I'd, I'd call you. Listen, I don't want to bother you and I'm kind of busy right now, but let me tell you a little bit about this company. And I would talk about the you know retractable syringe. And then came the third call closed. Aaron, it's Kenny. Listen. We got that block I was talking about. The trade, the stock's trading right now at 550. I secured a block at 485. I could put you in there, but I can only get you a thousand shares at that price. Is that something you might be able to do? A thousand shares at 485? Tell me right now, because I can only get about 10,000 right now at 485. I can get you a thousand. That's about it. You're good? All right. You're in for a thousand shares. Let me transfer you over to my secretary. She'll get your information. Welcome aboard, Aaron. Hopefully, this is the beginning of a beautiful relationship. Thanks a lot. <laughs> and did how many of your clients actually made money? Uh, two. 
out of what hundreds and I, thousands? I probably had I probably had a book of about eighty to a hundred people, which was pretty good. You know, I only did it for you know uh, maybe eighteen months, and you know some some trades were you know well the reason let me tell you the reason that the clients that made money was once I started trading my own account and buying my own stocks, I started pitching the stocks that I liked. And this was one of the, this was one of those glaring moments that I was talking about. So, you know, I just got back from Vegas. I was just turning 21 or 22 at the time. And I noticed every, every comp, every slot machine was made by one company, IGT, International Game Technology. I bought a thousand shares. I got my dad into a couple of thousand shares and it was like a $22 stock. Thing was rocking and rolling, 25, 27, 30. So I'm calling my clients, you know, you know, some of the IPOs hadn't tanked yet. Some of their stocks weren't at zero at this point. So we still had a decent relationship. And I talked, you know, talking about IGT. And you know, I had one guy, he's like, you know what? I'm totally with you. They're opening up a casino, you know, a couple of blocks from, you know, not a couple of miles down the road, the, the Indian reservation. And whatever you're saying, I'm into it. 22 bucks, I'll buy 5,000 shares. I almost like vomited because here I am, you know, <laughs> opening accounts for, you know, 4,000, 8,000. This guy wants to buy 5,000 shares of a, of a $20 stock. So I'm like freaking out a little bit. I don't even know what to do. So I'm like, okay, that's great. You know, so I, I roll into the office and, and I'm sweating, and, but I'm extremely happy because I'm going to, you know, open this guy for a hundred thousand dollar trade. And, uh, you know, the, the guy puts his arm around me and he said, listen, Kenny, we hear you pitching this IGT. We really want you to pitch the house stocks, but you know what? That's a fantastic trade on that hundred thousand share on that hundred thousand dollar order. We're going to give you about $250 commission, which we're going to take half of. And after SEC fees and NASDAQ fees and some other fees, you're going to walk away with 80 bucks. If you take that 100 grand and put it into consolidated technologies from Colorado or the retractable syringe company, we're going to give you a $25,000 commission check. Who are you looking out for, Ken? And I just took my Series 7 not too long ago. So he says, who are you looking out for? Oh, the client? And he laughs and tells me to get the fuck out of his office. And right there, I was like, wow, this is absolutely insane. But there I was calling my guy back saying, you know what? Maybe you should buy maybe 3,000 shares of IGT. You might want to sprinkle in some of this retractable syringe company I was telling you about last week. And, you know, I had to make a little bit of money. And that's probably the lowest point of my career when I made that phone call to get this guy into a stock that I knew at this point wasn't the best. But, hey, and it, it, that was the only guy I did it to. But you know what? The guy made, you know, good amount of money on IGT. And uh, that really made up for the, the dog crap stocks that this firm was pushing. So, Right. And that, that retractable syringe, that's, uh, that's an example or that's actually brought up in the Boiler Room movie, isn't it? I mean, it's been a couple of years since I watched it, but I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah, I've seen Boiler Room. I don't remember them doing the retractable syringe. We also did the Stratosphere, which I couldn't believe that we were doing an IPO of, of, of a Las Vegas hotel. And I was like, all right, this actually sounds legit. And even that one kind of tanked. It was it was incredible, but I don't remember in the boiler room what what they were selling. 
I know they were selling, uh, what was it, Teradyne Systems in Wolf of Wall Street or something, some with applications of government and <laughs> when he's going off and this guy's like, how'd you do that? <laughs> uh, but the, you know what's the best part of the, the, all those movies is the Ben Affleck speech. Because I rolled into I rolled into these firms wearing my bar mitzvah suit. I was still a little kid. I was still wearing a suit that was a decade old with a tie that I bought on my way there from a for a dollar on the street. And this guy's looking at me. He's like, "All right, the first thing you need to do is leave and go buy yourself a new suit, or you can't come back." And I had that that speech that Ben Affleck did. It was almost verbatim. How much money we're going to make? All these suits we're going to have? You want to you know go out and buy a car because you're going to be rich? I heard that whole thing. It, it was unbelievable, that movie. And the whole thing with, you know, getting recommendations and then yelling to the broker and the other guy coming over and closing. It was that movie was dead on, dead on. Did any of the guys who you were working with at the time, did any of them make serious money doing this? Some of the guys, yeah. They're, you know, this uh, one of my friends, I guess I could call him, the one of the guy who would be a little bit honest with me, this guy, Ben. He was, he was, you know, bringing in twenty five, thirty thousand dollars a month, easy. You know, he had a hundred grand month one driving a, you know, and this is a kid that I kind of knew from Brooklyn that was a knucklehead, and I'm, I'm, I'm being nice about it. This kid was not a smart kid, and you know, was, he, I was in the uh, the high, the high Excel, you know, program taking advanced math. This kid was like, you know, cutting out of school and you know, just getting in trouble. Next thing. Next thing you know, he's driving a Ferrari, making 25, 30, 40, 50, 100 grand a month. And like the original guy who laughed at me when I got the nine, you know, over a 90 on my Series 7, it was all about selling. It didn't matter what you knew. It was about tearing these guys or ripping these guys' heads off or tearing them up, breaking them down, and then asking for the sale and not saying a word. You know, it was just, you know, whoever spoke. First, after you ask for the sale, loses. So you would just sit there in silence till the guy made a decision. And the best was everybody knows about the rebuttal book. Oh, God, Aaron. There was a kid in this, uh, I don't want to drop some names, but he sat there. He had a binder. So no matter what you said to me, he would flip to that page. So, well, Kenny, you know, I'm really, uh, you know, I like the idea, but I asked my wife. Next thing you know, he grabs the wife tab on on the spiral notebook he opens the wife rebuttal page. Aaron, let me ask you a question right now. Your wife's out in Macy. She's buying a blouse. Is she calling you right now to find out if it's okay for her to buy that blouse and how much that blouse costs and what color you think that she should buy? I don't think so. Chances are you're the one making the money in the family. Am I right, Aaron? So this is just a decision that you can make right off the bat, can't you? <laughs> and <laughs> there was a rebuttal for everything. And this guy... Again, not the smartest guy in the world, but could he he could sell anything. And it was a it was something to watch. I used to just sit and watch in awe. And you know, he would have the guy on speaker, just like the movie, laughing his ass off while he was waiting for the guy to reply. And he already you know, the, he already knew what he was gonna say back to the guy no matter what. And he would just not get off the phone without getting some money out of everybody. It was it was incredible actually. And I, I just couldn't do it. I, I, I couldn't be that high pressure, you know, rip somebody's head off. I was I was the friendly comedian guy trying to, you know, get people to laugh and schmooze and trust me. But then once I lost trust of these firms, you could hear it in my voice. And obviously these people could hear it in my voice. 
and I didn't have any faith in what I was selling. And, you know, once I started learning about charts and uh, th- that was the end all be all because I raised my hand at a meeting one day and I was like, well, you know, uh, if it breaks 750, this thing doesn't really have any support till five. Maybe we should start selling it here at 785 because it looks like it's about to break. Kenny, we don't give a shit what you think you know. And if you ever mention a chart here, you're fired. And that was that was it. You know, <laughs> it was it. Was, and that's being nice about it. They they it was almost to the point where shut up or we're going to beat you up. It was nuts. And that was that was when I left. And uh, you know that was the end of my brokerage career. That's full on, man. What a crazy story. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about your actual trading. So tell us maybe what were your first few years like as a trader? Were they good, bad, average? How'd you go? Luckily, you know, it came into a market that was just about to explode. You know, this was, um, you know, 1998 when the internet was starting to catch on. You had Netscape, then you had a company called iOmega and you know, from what I knew about the market, stocks never went up 10%, 20% in a day, 50% in a day, in case, unless it was some sort of cancer breakthrough or, you know, kind of a takeover. And then we started seeing these, these internet stocks, you know, double click and real networks and these internet providers just going up every day. So it was kind of a hard adjustment for me to appreciate the fact that, hey, this might be something new. You know, stocks can can rip like this, and this is incredible. So, I just started, you know, nibbling away at, uh, you know, some of these high flyers. We didn't really call them high flyers at the time, but they became high flyers. And you know, iOmega was just a disk drive company. Then there was, uh, you know, a couple of companies that made pieces and parts for computers. There was something called a SCSI drive, a company called Adaptech, and they were flying high. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a crazy time. I luckily had a knack for it. So I started doing all right, right, right at the beginning. But once I learned about options, that's what got me in trouble because I took whatever I made and started gambling with options. And I call it gambling because I was just buying them willy nilly not looking at the charts, going away from everything that I learned about when to buy a stock. And I was just buying takeover rumors. I was just, you know, buying anything. And I wasn't thinking about it because I thought, you know, if I can make money trading, then I could support my gambling habit on these options. But eventually the gambling habit on the options outweighed what I was doing trading. And I found myself in a, in a pretty bad situation where I had to go then, you know, just wander the earth, I guess you could say. I just used to, I would go to Wall Street and just, I didn't want to go into the office. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to talk to anybody, but I would go to, I'd go to Wall Street and basically wander around until my friend said, what are you doing? And I was like, I try to grow a beard. I'm not the best. Uh, <laughs> it was just the nastiest beard ever, but I'm, I'm walking around in jean shorts, Timberlands and a Grateful Dead t-shirt, you know, for a couple of months until I got my head right. And then I just went back and I was like, all right, these are the concepts that my guy showed me that work. I'm going to just stick to this and that's all I'm going to do. And then suddenly it became 1999 where you really didn't know, you really didn't have to know how to trade. There was one thing to remember. If the stock breaks the previous day's high, buy it. And that was all you needed. There was nothing else. It was pure momentum 
And it was fantastic because I was making five, 10 grand a day by 1130. And then just, you know, again, being a pothead probably didn't help because here I'm making all this money. So it's 1130. Now I could go to the park and, you know, play hacky sack and hang out with my friends or go play paddleball and smoke a joint. And I generally never went back to the office. And then I would see every stock that I sold out of at 1130 up another five or 10 or sometimes 20 points where the more disciplined guys, when they were, I was making a thousand or 5,000 a day, they were making 20 and 30 a day. So I might've wasted that opportunity, but at the time when you're in it and you've never made that kind of money before, I mean, it was adding up very, very quickly. And I was, I was pretty happy about it. (laughs) <laughs> I don't doubt it. I mean, five, ten thousand $10,000 a day, who can complain about that? Right. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the US markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Was there anyone at this point in time who was really sort of helping you with your trading? Uh, someone who was, I don't know about a mentor, but someone who was like guiding you in the right direction. Like, I don't know, was it one of the guys at the firm who kind of taught you the ropes? Um, Was there anyone who sort of played that role? Yes, there was actually three guys. Well, I guess two guys were constantly trading and they had no problem letting me sit behind them and ask questions while they were trading, which is kind of annoying. One guy, you know, there there was, uh, uh, well, let's call him Joe and Mike. Then you had Bill. Joe and Mike had no problem letting me sit behind them. But Mike, he was the guy that was making, you know, 30, 40 grand a day trading, had a lot of positions on. He didn't want me sitting behind him. He didn't want me asking questions. But, you know, Mike, Mike and uh, whatever his name, Bob, I don't want to drop their names because in case they ever do listen, they don't want to tell the story. But they were just awesome. And all they did was tell me everything in if-then statements. If this happens, then this should happen. This is where it could go. And this is where you put your stop. And this is what you think. This is where we think the stock could go because of this. And I just learned everything on if then statements. And it wasn't until, you know, a couple of months later till I finally started really starting to look at the charts. Because like I said, back then it was if you saw a stock breaking the previous day's high, you had a 90% chance of success just buying that stock at that price and watching it take off. 
But there was a guy, and I'll, I'll, I'll say his name because I still use his concepts to this day, uh, a guy named Isaac. And he just would drill these, you know, little concepts in my head. It wasn't about charts. It was about sentiment. It wasn't, you know, it was about seasonality and sentiment. And one of my favorite things that he said was, you don't have to rush into a trade. You could be late and right. And it's better to be late and right than early and wrong. Just wait for the trade. You'll be able to make the meet in the middle. I was like, okay, that's great. So it took the speculation out. I just waited for something to present itself on the day. I I rarely took overnights because that was the, you know, the typical day trader. You weren't taking overnights. That was the whole concept. You come in the next day, fresh, ready to go. And just try to make the meet in the middle. You know, if the market gapped up, you know, above some of those prices that you were ready to buy the stock, you would just pile in anyway. <laughs> and it was just, uh, it was incredible. But, you know, never had to speculate too much. And, you know, and then it was Isaac that really made my fortune by explaining to me the concept of, um, uh, what's it called, when all the dogs start moving the... Uh, it's kind of the end of the bull market, the dash for trash, I guess they call it, right? He told me, and he was, a, he was actually a penny stock trader. They had a consortium of traders, and he said to me, Kenny, I've never seen some of the stocks that are moving move. Not only did they not move, some of these stocks are up three, four hundred percent, thousand percent, ten thousand percent. Some of these stocks were five cent stocks that would go into five, ten, fifteen dollars. This market is going to crash within the next month and a half. And that was in February of 2000. So I was like, you know what? You are my mentor. I agree because I started reading up on some of these companies like CMRC. It was a company called Crossroads, uh, just to name a few. Some of these companies had eight employees trading at a market cap almost as much as GE. And they had no income. It was basically... I guess, revenue, and that was it. And these stocks were $30 stocks that were trading in the 800, sometimes 1,000. So I started shorting them, and I was taking a beating for about a month. And then they all came home, and it was fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I'm a, I was a scalper by nature, you know, but back then scalping was for a point or two. These stocks were falling in 10, 20, 30-point increments, I didn't even have a chance to cover. So once you're up that much money, I was like, you know what? Maybe this stock's just going to roll over and die. I rode one of those stocks from about, you know, I guess around 400 down to about four bucks. And it was, uh, I don't even know, you know, a lot of those companies don't even exist anymore. Everybody remembers CMGI. You probably remember, you know, SDLI. It was just, it was just nonsense that was going on back then. And, you know, eventually, obviously, you know, they all came home. And my problem was I, I made a lot of money on the crash. But then when, you know, these 20 stocks that I destroyed got down 85, 90%, I bought them all. And guess what? About 80 or 90% of them went to zero. So I lost a big chunk of money thinking I knew a little bit more than I did because I believed that a stock that goes from $800 down to, you know, 12 or 15, it's got to be a buy here. 
and they all went to basically zero except for Akamai. That was the only one that I owned that ever staged a comeback, AKAM. And uh, yeah, yeah it, was, it was a pretty sick time. Right, right. So it's just skipping forward a few years. Um, how'd you go during the, the 2008 crash? I believe that was an interesting period in your career also. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was really, you know, I had a couple of friends working at, at Bear Stearns and, you know, this was right when things started getting a little antsy. The word uh, subprime was coming around. And there was rumblings that Bear Stearns might be in trouble. I remember Kramer came out and defended them. And here I am. I got a couple of guys telling me that they're not doing any business. They're not doing any more loans. Their trading is like done. People are just sitting around staring at each other. And this guy's asking me if I know anywhere I can get him a job. I'm like, you work at Bear Stearns. I'm an idiot day trader. (laughs) I was like, really? You're looking for a job? He's like, yeah, me and my three friends also. You know anybody? And I was like, seriously? And it had to be maybe, you know, a couple of months later when the shit hit the fan. And sadly, you know, I was, you know, I started shorting Bear Stearns when I heard these guys were looking for a job. And I think it was about a week after I shorted it that there was a rumor that Warren Buffett was going to come along and buy the whole company. Stock spiked about 15, 20 points. I figured I was going to lose the whole, you know, the whole nut that I put into some puts. And, uh... I was so happy to see Bear Stearns rolling over and I turned this big loss into a gain again that I got out and obviously you know this stock eventually went to zero, which I could probably be living off that money for the rest of my life if I would have stayed with that position I had on. But I didn't do as well on that crash than I did in 2000 because it was I wasn't as convinced that the end of the world was coming as I was in 2000. And 2000, it was easier for me because I saw how the stocks went up and I figured, all right, these are going to give back at least 50, 60% of this parabolic move that they had. 2008, you know, I didn't want to believe that capitalism was on, you know, on the ropes and that the entire banking system was about to collapse. It didn't want to set into my brain. So at one point, you know, I was happy just nibbling on some Lehman Brothers short and Bear Stearns short and you know, some, some, some other stocks, but, you know, nothing like uh, 2000. But the best part about it is when the real shit hit the fan, I was in complete cash. Sadly, you know, it could have been the most mon- monstrous trade I've ever had in my life, staying short the stuff that I had. But I was very content being out of the market, being in cash, and just waiting for, you know, some stability to come along. Because I figured, you know, some of these stocks are going to be fantastic buys, even if I have to wait five or six years. And obviously, eight years later, look where we are. Yeah. So tell us about how you traded post GFC. I mean, I, we were talking a little bit before this, and you said that you kind of struggled a little bit um, as the crash was uh, recovering. Well, because I came from the old, from that from the school of shorting, and you know, most of the money I've ever made was shorting. So after 2009, and you know, I was convinced, I was like, all right, the government's bailing everybody out. We're probably going to have a monster rally. But then after 2009, 2010, 2011, as we kept going higher and higher and higher, I thought that I saw a little topping formation on the, on, on the S&Ps and the QQQ in particular. And you know, I decided to go 
about 50 times huger than I had ever been, you know, in the last five or six years. And it was going well for about 20 minutes. Skipping around the office, I called the highs of the market. We're going to roll over and give back a big chunk of this. I'm going to be rich and I'm going to retire. And somebody said, Ken, you might want to get back to your desk. JP Morgan, I think it was JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley. Yeah, they just upgraded every stock. And they came out with some lists. They, they put all these new predictions on the, on the S&Ps and on the Qs. They upgraded like 30 sectors. And I just sat there in a, like a deer in the headlights. Just unbe- I couldn't believe that I left this money on the table. And then when it started to become a loss, my mouth was dry. My hands were sweating. I didn't know what to do. And I just sat and watched it for an hour, hoping that you know maybe, maybe it will roll over. I could take some of this off. And then at one point, I was just, it, it just went parabolic right you know, after 3 o'clock, and it just kept going. And I took half of it off, and I was like, please, God, maybe, maybe they'll give some of this back tomorrow. And they capped the market up tomorrow, and we started ripping again. And it was a nightmare. And if you watch any of my videos on YouTube, that's when I really became this psycho bull. Because I said, you know what? What was I thinking? The government has saved us from the Great Depression number two. They seem to have taken over the stock market. And why would I want to fight the government, fight the Fed? I'm just going to go long. And that's when I got, you know, I bought some Qs. I think it was March of 2012. And I'm, you know, the family's still in the Qs. And, you know, it, it was a great buy. Obviously, I wish I would have bought a little bit more of everything. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty good move. But, man, did I take a beat down. In, uh, I believe it was March of 2011 or March of 2012. I, I try to block it out of my memory, you know, <laughs> as much as I can, because it was uh, it was a horrifying day. It was no, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. OK, so let's talk. Uh, let's talk more about how you're actually trading today. Let's get into that. So, I mean, how would you describe what you do, like kind of your trading methodology that you're implementing these days? Well, I've gone back to what was doing well in 1999 and 2000. Obviously, it's not as easy. We were, we were trading in eighths of a point and quarters of a point, so the same momentum that you got, you were making 12 cent and 25 cent increments, and I was trading a lot larger size. But I've gone back to what was making me money. The, that simple concept of a stock break in the previous day's high, it's, it's similar to that. What I try to do now is I it's and it's hard because there's not many stocks that are getting beat down but I've been pretty good at finding stocks that are coming out of a malaise or coming out of a depression or or just or just coming out of just sitting around and consolidating and once I see them reversing and breaking some previous you know not just a day but going back you know a month sometimes two months sometimes a, a year or so that some of these stocks have been sitting around and doing nothing, that once they break out of that channel or that, that range that they're sitting in, the move, especially because we're in the greatest bull market of all time right now, in my opinion, uh, once the shorts get nervous, the stock goes and has a monster move. And I just go from stock to stock and I try to find these. And if, even if I only trade, even if I only find one of these a week, it's enough to make a living off. And if you want to trade for a living, 
you can find these ideas on a more subtle basis. It all starts with reversals. And I know you have a, a friend of mine on the show not too long ago, Zach. I used to call, I, I was calling him the VWAP emperor because about three or four years ago, he told me, he's like, you know, that candlestick breakout pattern that you're looking at, once it breaks over the VWAP, stock really starts to get going. And I said, what's VWAP? Because again, I, I'm pretty familiar with a lot of different concepts, moving averages and, you know, stochastics and Bollinger Bands and all this crap that I was trying to learn. And he's like, just why don't you plot the VWAP up to, you know, on your charts just to give you a guide. And I was very hesitant because I was setting my ways, things were going well. And once I plotted the VWAP on my chart, you know, using, you know, the one minute and sometimes even a yearly VWAP, which is, it's remarkable that this thing's been coming into play so often. But once these stocks reverse and they break the VWAP, the trades have been working about 90% of the time. Now, I'm not saying I find these every day, but if I find three a week, that's really all I need. And lately, it's been phenomenal. I, I, I've been finding, you know, almost one a day. Uh, found another one a couple of days ago. I don't, I don't know if you want to get into symbols, but most of the charts and, you know, I could give you a couple of symbols. It all started with, you know, a taser. If you look at like a 10-year chart in the taser and you plot that next to an AMD chart, or if you look at this stock called ENDP, or you look at GoPro, or you look at um, what was the one that we just got into? First Solar, FSLR, and today we got into CLDX. They're basically all the same type of stock. And if you look at this chart on CONN, CON, these are the stocks that I've been making money on lately. And I don't have to be a very active trader because all I'm doing is I'm finding these positions, I'm plotting out where I think they can go, and then I'm looking at nine-month and yearly VWAPs, and my God, they're all going to these nine-month yearly VWAPs when they start to break out. So I'm using the VWAP as a guide to where I might be looking to take some profit. And if it does break over these yearly VWAPs, you're getting another 10, 15, 20% on some of these stocks. This con stock, this is a electronics resale uh, place that's, you know, I've only seen them in Vegas when I was out there. Stock was an $85 stock, sitting at six bucks about three weeks ago. They had an earnings report. Stock was gapped down into, into the reversal, broke over the VWAP that day. And the reason I day trade is to find swing trades because I've been doing much better on my swing trade ideas than the day trades. Because when you're day trading, you're sitting there and you're watching every penny go back and forth. Oh, God. Oh, God. Should I get in? Should I get out? Should I get in? Should I get out? Once these stocks break this, what I call the exhaustion situation formation, they're gone. They, they, I mean, first solar, who I never thought in a million years I'd ever look at that stock again. I hate that stock. First solar, one of the, one of the worst stocks ever. But the other day, met the criteria, broke over the VWAP, stock reversed. Next thing you know, you're getting a four-point move. And if you're looking at, you know, I know some of you guys are thinking four points is not a lot, but if you went out you know, and bought the calls for 40 cents and you're selling them for two bucks three days later, that's, it's pretty good. And I, and that's what I've been doing lately. And I'm trying to teach people this exhaustion pattern that I found, because what's great about it is that not only do you have the shorts who are freaking out because the stock suddenly started going back up, but then you have the encouraged longs who have been dollar cost averaging in these 
beat down awful stocks that start to buy more and they get encouraged. And next thing you know, every once in a while, you get an AMD coming from you know, 250 and 325 where the breakout was that ripped to $8 and suddenly this could be a legitimate turnaround story. And then you got this con, whether, whether or not it's a turnaround story, I'm out of the stock. This thing went from 750 and again, I'm not telling you I catch the bottoms, it's the turn once it breaks over the bottom consolidation range that you look for it to get to the next range. And this is a stock that just went from, you know, 725 up to $11. And, you know, this part you don't read about in books, but I love the stock short the other day because after the stock went from 6 bucks to 11 some genius analyst, who I have no respect for analysts on Wall Street whatsoever, because I know how shady the business is, this genius thinks to put an upgrade on the stock when it, after it moves 100%. So I was like, you know what, guys? That's your top. So look for this stock to give back a good percentage or maybe all of this pop that this analyst in his awesomeness has decided to upgrade this stock. And in my theory, you know, and this is, again, some people are going to get bent out of shape when I say this, but I know it happens. Analysts are paid shills. Let's assume you got a big amount of con short and you're getting beat up now because you didn't cover. You call your analyst friend, hey, do me a favor. Upgrade this stock tomorrow so I could short into your upgrade so I can make some of this money back, you know, after it retraces. And that's what happens. I don't care what anybody thinks they know. Nobody knows anything. These analysts and, you know, again, just like GoPro, here's a stock that analysts were upgrading at $90 saying it was going to 150. It's the camera on a stick social media company now. It's not just a camera. So at 90 and 80 and 70 and 60 and 50 and 40 and 30 and 20, they don't think to downgrade it. But this genius downgrades it when it hits 1050. Boom. Yeah, sure, it went down two more points after he said it, but there you go. When some genius analyst downgrades or upgrades a stock after a monster move, there it's it's just it's almost like the Barron's theory. You know, when Barron says, is it safe to get into back into the market? That's the top of the market. Should you be getting out of the market? That's the bottom of the market. It's incredible how it works, but I've been watching this for 20 years. It does work like that. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And these trades you're describing here, are you trading the actual stocks or are you trading uh, options? Well, see, I will trade the stock at first. And, you know, for instance, on First Solar, it all starts with a day trade. You catch the reversal, breaks over, you know, my reversal price, we're in the stock. Now, the reason a lot of, a lot of these traders and day traders and, you know, basically anybody in general, lose money is that they take a day trade that's not going their way and suddenly it's a swing trade because they didn't want to take the loss. Next thing you know, they got an $80 loss they don't want to take. Next thing you know, it's a $250 loss. Well, if you didn't take an $80 loss, I'm certainly not going to sell it here. Three months later, you're getting 10 Qs, 10 Ks sent to your house. You're sitting on a conference call with a company that you don't even know what the hell they do is reporting earnings. Oh man, I hope they say something good. This better be good. Huh? You're sitting on a conference call. You're you're calling investor relations and making fun, make, make, making friends with the lady who works at the at headquarters, and that's the wrong way of doing it. 
day trading for me is to find not only the day trade that works for the day, but to find these decent ideas to turn your day trade into a swing trade in a positive way. So first solar started out, I think, you know, I, I believe, I think it was 34.65. So it starts out at 34.65. Let me just, I'm trying to pull up something. Around 34.65, we were in the stock and we, we had a target of, you know, 36.60. But am I going to hold 1,000 shares or 2,000 shares of first solar? Absolutely not. I buy 1,000 shares, stock spurts 40 cents. Guess what I'm doing? I'm selling 800 shares of it, taking the money off the table, and I'm holding 200 shares as a swing trade to see if this thing actually gets to 36 and change. And then we're in a swing trade. Fantastic. Now, if it could break 36.60, we got a target of 37.50. But at that time, I want to be in 1,000 shares. So now that the swing trade's going my way, I'm thinking, hey, why don't we buy some 37.50 calls 10 days out here for 50 cents? Because if this thing really does pop and goes to 39 and change, we'll be able to make, you know, about a buck 50 on these 50 cent options. So that's the evolution of what I try to do. I turn the day trade, the winning day trade, into the swing trade, and then I'll start going looking for options because chances are I still want to be in the stock, but I don't want to commit too much cash. And obviously that's what options are for. You could have the same couple of thousand shares of first solar without having to lay out 70,000 bucks. And then obviously if things don't go well, you know, who the hell knows overnight, 2,000 shares of first solar, you know, they come out with some bullshit news or their, you know, their solar panels are causing cancer. The stock opens up at eight bucks. You know, you got $1,500 worth of options. You're not worried. Yeah, you're down 1,500, but you got 2,000 shares of the stock and the stock's trading at 20 bucks. Next thing you know, that could be the end of your career, depending on who you are. Yeah, okay. So I'd be keen to hear a bit more about how you decide on a profit target. So like how far ahead of time do you have an opinion on where a stock uh, might actually go? Really comes down to, you know, once I find the this exhaustion situation formation, I start looking at the low prints from where the stock had broken down. So if, again, I don't know if you're looking at charts, I'm sure some guys, you know, if you wanna follow along in this first solar, when we bought the stock, all we were first looking for it was to break this 34.65 area, which was, you know, the, the high prints of the two previous candles where it came from. So then I look at the high print from where it broke down from, or sorry, the low prints from where it broke down from, which is around 36.75. So that was my immediate target for the short-term goal. And then I'm thinking, hey, if this thing could break that 36.75, then I start looking at the high prints from a previous move up, which got me to about 39.32. So I'm thinking, hey, if this thing could break through here, we're looking for the next range. And now look where the stock is, you're at 39 bucks. I like whole numbers. I took some off the table today and I'm down to the last lot. And now if this thing breaks today's high around 39.12, I'm looking for it to get to that next top range, which is about 39.72. And then I've got $40.40. So I plot the chart and I give myself exact targets. Again, no one's going to hit them to the penny, but I have exactly what I want and where I'm thinking about selling about, you know, as soon as I'm in the trade, I'll start drawing my lines and say, if this happens, then this should happen. Going back to the concepts I learned in 97, 
If this breaks, then it should go here. If this breaks, it should go here. And this is where our stops are to protect our profit. And, you know, that's, you know, pretty much how I do it. And once you find something that works, really all you're supposed to be doing is that same thing over and over again. I mean, that's how I found, you know, these biotech stocks. If you want to take a look at another one, now I'm not going to say I picked the bottom on this one, but Clovis, and it was, it was kind of luck also. But we're talking about a stock that was $116. I don't know if you know about Clovis, CLVS. Here you got a stock that the drug doesn't work, FDA this, FDA that, they're running out of money. Stock's down to $1,150. Did I buy it at $1,150? Absolutely not. But if you see, the bottom range was between $1,150 and around $1,750. So I didn't buy $1,150, $1,250. I waited to see. I was like, why would this stock break $1,750 if it was virtually going out of business? So at $1,750, and again, here, I don't buy the stock because, again, it's a biotech stock that I thought, and as I read on the interweb, they're going out of business. They got nothing going on. So I bought some 1750 calls that day. And then when it broke out, I was like, wow, if this thing can break $21, we're looking for we're looking for this thing to possibly even go back to 30 bucks. So, you know, we sold out of the the, the quick hit on the options and we we what we thought were lotto tickets at the time, buying some $25 calls were phenomenal. And of course, you know, I cannot believe the stock went back into the 40s because we were out of the stock around, you know, 29 and change. But uh, hey, you're not going to complain when you make you know three or four percent, you know three or four hundred percent on your options. And again, why did I buy Clovis? Exhaustion situation formation. The sellers just seem to have dried up. AMD, ENDP, and what we just bought today. I'll give you a freebie. Another piece of garbage biotech stock. CLDX doesn't look like much on the chart, but. It stopped going down, which is the first sign of something good. And you had this little bottom range. It couldn't get back above about 380. So what do you do? You break, you break 380. You got to buy the stock. And our short-term goal was just 410. We got the 410 today. So now that it broke 410, I looked to the candles from where the stock broke down from originally, which is around 440. And that's our next goal. Breaks 440. And I'm looking for a, this thing to go to around 470. Now is where it gets fun because you have a gap to be filled. So if this thing could get back over around five bucks without any news whatsoever, this thing could be a $6.20 stock very, very quickly. And if you're buying something at 385 and dumping it at 620, you, you, you're doing something right. And, you know, that's the, that's the last one I just bought. This one I bought the stock because obviously it's pretty cheap. And, again, I only start out with a couple of thousand just to get a feel for it. If it pulls back and, you know, goes right back down to 385, no harm, no foul. But had a nice close today and uh, looks pretty good, you know. And that's, you know, really, again, it's the same thing over and over again. That's why I tell all my students this is not exciting. It actually should be boring. The more excited you are, you're probably doing something wrong. You shouldn't be running around trying to find every symbol. You know, I got guys coming into my chat room. Hey, did you trade this? Hey, did you trade that? I don't even see these stocks. You know, these three dollar stocks that are up five hundred percent for the day. I'm like, nah. Uh, it's probably just going to give back eighty percent tomorrow. It's not my thing. When these little garbage stocks go parabolic, 
you know, out of nowhere, it's usually, a, you know, going to come right back in, which brings me to another one, which is EXCL. And if you guys are following along and, you know, again, I appreciate you having me on and, and shooting the shit like this. I hope you guys are following along. Here's a stock EXCL. Now, Aaron, this would get me in such trouble back in the day. And this is where discipline comes in. I look at a stock that was $4 in February. It's trading at $15.50 now and pretty much has gone parabolic. So my shorter, my bear inside me saying, oh, this thing's going to come cratering back, back down to 11 at least. I got to keep shorting it. But there's no reason to short these stocks right now until I see you know, what I like to call the blow-off top. You know, obviously, I'm not the only one that calls it the blow-off top. But now what I look for on a stock that's gone parabolic like this, the only time I'm going to short the stock is when it gaps up, rolls over, and goes red. You understand what I'm saying? That's the only time. And again, you guys out there that are trying to pick tops, let the top pick itself. Another Isaac, uh, Isaac-ism. Let the top form and then short the stock. You're never going to pick the top, and you're going to go broke trying. So one of these days, I'm sure EXCL is going to give back a little bit. But you know what? Wasn't wasn't today, wasn't yesterday. I thought 15 might have been the spot. Broke 15 yesterday. Looks like it keeps on going. For all we know is that this thing has a drug that's about to be unleashed onto the world that's going to save the planet. This thing could be a $1,000 stock. I don't know. I just know if it gaps up tomorrow and let's say it's at 15.80, rolls over, breaks to one-minute VWAP, trend starts to reverse, and this thing goes negative, then you short it. Sure. I'm going to sacrifice 50 cents in there, but if it's, if it's time to short the stock, it's not just going to pull back four cents and sit there. It'll give back another 50 cents, possibly a dollar, and the profit taking will ensue, and then you can make some money. Once again, you'd rather be late and right than early and wrong. It really comes down to the same concept every time. So just going back to something you said earlier in your answer there, you talked about these range formations that come in when the sellers dry up. Right. How are you actually defining a range? Like how would you identify that on a chart? All right. Let's take a look at uh, the con chart if you can, guys, if you're following along at home. Just so you, you know, the- Kenny, a lot of people probably aren't, don't have a chart in front of them. A lot of people listen while they're like driving okay. on the way to the gym, that sort of thing. Uh, so maybe if you just sort of broadly speak about that example would probably be most helpful. All right. Well, you could basically see on, you know, I'll just say it in general, in general terms then. If you see a stock that hits 650, that's been down from 80 bucks, and every time it goes to 650, it holds 650. And then a week goes by, it pops to 685, rolls back to 650. Hey, it held 650 again. Then it goes back to 682, rolls back over, goes to 650. Hey, guess what? It held 650 again. This stock did that about, let me see a dozen times. And every time it got to around, well, this one was about $7.15. Every time it got to $7.15, it rolled back to $6.50. So finally, and the beautiful part about it, it was that it was an earnings reversal, something that I I talk about quite often to my guys. When are people going to make decisions? It's when the earnings come out. So Apparently, whether these, this is true or not, apparently the numbers were good enough where the people that were debating whether or not to cover their shorts finally made their mind up. And once that stock broke 715, 
Then you're looking for, like I was saying before, where did the stock break down from when when it last fell into a new range? So on this one, it was about eight bucks. So I was like, hey, I'll buy something at $7.15 with an $8 target. Next thing you know, it got to $8 that day. And then we were like, wait, if it could get past eight, and then we look for the next breakdown price. And I had $8.85. And I was like, can this stock really go from $7.15 to $8.85? You're sure it sure can. And then from $8.85, I was like, wow, this thing's still got some momentum. Possibly gets to $9.50. Because $9.50 was where another level where it kind of broke down from in the past. So I'm looking at a chart going back to, you know, May. And it sat around from June till September 7th. So you got, you know, three or four months of it just doing nothing. So then you got the shorts covering, you got the bulls encouraged, and obviously the stock went all the way up to 1250 and then the genius analyst came along and, you know, upgraded it. But the, the more a stock continues to hit a certain area, and usually it's a 52-week low or even a two-year low. In this case, I think it was a three- or four-year low or an all-time low, as a matter of fact, on con. If it keeps hitting that same price and can't break down, now, again, you don't want to buy it then. You just want to wait till it breaks out of that range that it's formed. And once it does... The shorts get nervous and you get the short squeeze and then obviously the algos come in and everybody starts going nuts with, you know, levels and black boxes and gray boxes and all your high frequency trading gets involved. And next thing you know, you have a stock that goes from six bucks to 12. And, uh, you know, if you look at AMD, same kind of story. And, you know, it's all about these bottom ranges. And once they form the range, all you're looking for that, that stock to do is break out of that bottom range and just get to the next level up, which could be just, you know, 3%, 5%. And every once in a while, you get a monster. So going back to the whole concept, I'm not picking the bottoms. The bottom is forming for me. I'm just waiting for it to break out into the next level and, you know, making the meat in the middle. Got it. Got it. Okay. Good stuff, man. Well, I really want to get to, I mean, we're pushing on, what is it? almost 70 minutes now. Um, I really want to get to some kind of some tips and pointers, some suggestions you might have for uh, traders who are still developing, still trying to find their feet and find their way in this game. So, I mean, one of the things I'd like to ask you is what's one thing if unprofitable traders just understood they'd be better off? Wow. Well, I tell this to everybody. If you ever find yourself saying, let's see what happens, Get the hell out of the trade because you're hoping. And that's what gets people in trouble. Ah, let's see what happens. It's the same thing, the day trade becoming a swing trade, becoming an investment. Don't let it happen. How many times have you heard? You probably heard it. Everybody's heard it. I'm stuck in this stock. Are you? Really? You don't have internet access or, or telephone? What do you mean you're stuck in the stock? Just press the button. Rip the Band-Aid off. Do it. It's just one trade. Don't let it ruin your life. It's just one trade. People don't, people don't seem to understand that. You're going to lose money. Even if I had 90% winners, that 10% losers can outweigh the 90% without proper risk management and money management. Don't let the losers outweigh your winners. And usually you're saying to yourself, 
let's see what happens. And it, 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 it really, it, it, it sounds too easy to be true, but everybody says, let's see what happens. And if you find yourself saying, let's see what happens in a losing position, chances are it's going to get worse. Chances are it's going to get worse. But the other concept along those same lines, if you're in a losing trade, say to yourself, would you be uh, assuming you own it? Would you buy more here? If you don't immediately say yes, dump it. Because if you're not confident enough to buy more while it's falling, then you shouldn't be in the stock. Get out. It's just one trade. If you're going to be successful, you're going to have so many losers. You just have to manage them. And that was my problem because I used to let's see what happens all the time because I had a lot of money and I was like, oh, let's see what happens. What's the worst that'll happen? Enron. Oh, what's the worst that'll happen? Oh, WorldCom. I've been in all of that. I was like, what? Oh, Enron. Oh, yeah, this is uh, it's down to eight bucks. Uh, where? It's not going to go to zero, is it? You know, and next thing you know, what do I know? I didn't know anything about Enron. I just saw a chart of a stock that went from eight, you know, from 80 to eight. And I just said, well, let's see what happens. When, when it was down at five, well, let's see what happens. Next thing you know, it's at zero. And, you know, it was just, just, a, just an awful, awful thing. I'm telling you, it's that easy. When you mutter to yourself, let's see what happens, just hit the key or click your mouse and get the hell out, I'm telling you. And you'll feel better. You get rid of the stock, you ban it. I, you know how many stocks I ban from my life? So I just like, you know what? Every time I go near that stock, I lose money. You know what? Guess what? I'm not going to trade it anymore. And I'll tell you one more thing. The, the, the funniest thing is I hear about this all day, even today. Kenny, I, I seem to do really well in the morning. And then I wind up churning my account and then giving back most of my day in the afternoon. What do you think I should do? Uh, why don't you stand yourself in the mirror and say that again? What do you think the answer is? Well, Kenny, I, uh, you know, I make money during the, you know, the morning every day, and I, I lose in the afternoon. What do you think I should do? Here's a concept. Don't trade the afternoon. Let that one sink in. It could be that easy. And it's amazing. The guy was like, really? That's all you have to offer me? I'm like, yeah, what do you need? You just told me you make money in the morning and lose in the afternoon every day. You don't have to hang out just because you feel like, you want to be a trader. It's about money. Make the money. You do this for a living or you're attempting to do it for a living. Why would you stay at the poker table when you've won the money? I won. I won the money. Leave. No one's giving you drinks or back rubs when you're sitting in your house in your underwear. Or maybe they are. But why are you sitting at the casino table when you won the money? Leave. It's all right. You can leave. Loud and clear. Solid advice, man. Um, what are some illusions people have about traders which aren't entirely true? We wear suits. <laughs> so some people think uh, we wear, that traders wear suits. I don't, know, I don't know when they stopped wearing suits or, you know, when you hear the word trader, everybody thinks we're yelling and screaming on the floor. Uh, I'd say within probably five more years, you won't have any of that going on. But I think the, the illusion that you need to be constantly trading is what gets people in trouble. That, that, that illusion of, I'm a trader. I need to trade. No, you don't. Not trading is trading. Knowing when not to trade, if you're sitting there still at the computer after having three or four decent trades, 
If you're sitting at your computer between 1230 and 130, you're just a maniac. You're a glutton. You got it. You got some issues. Take take your at least your hour off between 930 and 1130. Don't don't talk to anybody. That's your moment. From 11.30 to sometimes even 2.30, 3 o'clock, you shouldn't be doing anything. You should watch the Rangers being formed, but you shouldn't be executing any trades during that time. You're just asking for trouble. And the, the concept is that, well, I'm off the desk. I might as well put some trades on. That's why you get guys that lose money in the afternoons. They're blinded by this idea that they're a trader and they must trade. Flat, my friends, is a position. I've got to say, Kenny, thank you so much for coming on, man. We should probably call this a wrap. Where is the best place listeners can go to find out more about you? Well, uh, the the easy way is to email me. It's kennyglick at AOL.com. And please don't mock me for having the AOL account. Uh, It's it's something near and dear to my heart. I will keep AOL forever because I remember the days where all we had was dial-up. My website's hitthebid.com. It's kind of just a portal to you know, get into my private chat that I have. Um, if you do want to find any more information about me, just email me, and uh, you know, we'll talk. Kenny Glick at AOL.com. and uh, you know, generally, I let people hang out with me now. My my new way of doing business is just hang out, hang out with me. I'm an easygoing guy. I, I, I drill these four or five concepts into your head. A lot of a lot of my you know Isaacisms. I will you know, put those into your skull and we hang out. We have a lot of fun. And because people want to be at the desk, once we start making money, you know, if you like to cook, I could teach you how to make a nice meatball. I have a lot of Italians in my family. I'm a Jewish fella, by the way, and I make a ridiculous sauce. I make psychopathic uh, raviolis and stuffed shells, make an incredible just amount of food because I was taught by my uh, my wife. She, my wife's uh, aunts uh, have all married into a large Italian family. So we sit, you know, we make some money. I treat, I treat my room like a family and everybody in there. So what I do now is I'm like, come hang out for a month on me. Let me show you what I do. If you can't grasp some of the concepts within a month and I don't show you how to make money, we part as friends. And then if you want to stick around, I just do a one-time lifetime membership to basically be Kenny Glick's friend and now we could talk about that after you spend a month with me if, if, if you like what I do. And what gets people in trouble, some people show up at 1.30 on a Thursday afternoon. Where are your picks? Where's all your genius ideas, Kenny? I saw your video on YouTube. It says you never lose. Where's your picks? You can't come into my chat room on a Thursday at 2 o'clock expecting some monster idea that's just going to blow your mind. It's a lifelong dedication that... I ask people to do because if you're going to be a trader, you have to take it serious and learn the concepts. And I'm not saying mine are all you have to learn, but I show you some basic concepts that will help you succeed. And the hardest part is sticking to those few concepts that you have proved or, or I have proved that work pretty well. So that's me in a nutshell, my man. Thank you so much, man. I, I've heard so much about you and so many people were so excited that I was on your show. And you're doing an awesome job, man. I mean, from Australia. I mean, yeah, fantastic stuff. I, I'm really I'm really excited that you had me on. Thanks a lot. Right back at you, man. I appreciate it. Um, so you gave us your email. You gave us your website. Are you also on Twitter as well? Yeah, I'm at 
Hit the Bid Radio. At Hit the Bid Radio. Good stuff, man. All right, well, let's call this a wrap. Kenny, once again, thank you very much for doing this. I appreciate it. No, I appreciate it too, brother. That was This was awesome. Thanks a lot. You've reached the end of this episode of Chat with Traders. But rest assured, there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon. So to stay updated with each great new release, subscribe to the podcast and iTunes. And we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next time on Chat with Traders. Chat with Traders.